You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Jordan Goldrich. He helps leaders and dysfunctions so their teams can do great things. He's a speaker, chief operations officer and master corporate executive coach who partners with senior executives to drive results while developing their organizations, teams, and the next generations of leaders. Jordan specializes in helping valuable executives who are experienced as abrasive to increase their effectiveness while changing their impact. He is also the author of Workplace Warrior, People Skills for the No Bullshit Executive. Hi, Jordan, and welcome to the show. Well, good, thank you. Great to be here. It is my pleasure, and I love the name of your book. So I'm really curious to see, get your insights about leadership and especially your stories. <laughs> okay, great. I, and I will, I will share those. And Jordan, do you want to add anything else about yourself? Well, I think that uh, just a little bit of background for your listeners. Um, I was born in New York City in an, oh. environment, in an environment that was very working class. And okay. so I grew up... Uh, Speaking, by the way, I, I, my, my recollection is that Romania has a fairly direct communication style. Is that true? Uh, it, is, it is fairly direct, but um, yes. due to our um, recent, it's not that recent anymore, but quite recent communist <laughs> past, yes. where it was 50-something years behind the Iron Curtain, uh, people learn to not really speak their minds so forward, so uh, it's it's a little diluted now. Uh, yes, because I, I understand. You didn't want to get uh, picked up by the 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 securitate, so like the equivalent sure. like, of the CIA, and you would disappear, and the family wouldn't know because you made like an improper joke about <laughs> the yeah. dearly departed leader <laughs> or something yeah, I, like that. I, no, no, I understand. I was, I was really meaning more of sort of family and how family and friends talk to each other. Oh, yeah. In family circles, especially if they're considered family and you, there's like an implicit trust inside the family. Uh, yeah, you talk yeah. exactly what you're thinking. You, you don't hide yourself. So uh, um, the Communist Party tried to ruin that part, but they didn't uh, succeed. <laughs> yeah. Part of the reason I ask is that that was like my family. My family was very direct and loud, even by New York standards. Oh. And, and so um, we're talking about leadership today. And one of the things, and I'll tell the story more in depth later, but one of the things to, to know for your audience to know about me is I grew up with a very direct leadership style. And it worked very well when I was part of a fast growing entrepreneurial company, but didn't work so well when I got around uh, larger companies that had more um, hierarchical management styles. So that's been, you know, that's been, that, that would, this is going to be one of the core uh, uh, messages of what I talk about today is what is your culture and how does that match up with the people that you're working with? Yeah, really interesting. And I'm really curious to, to get into it. So with that in mind, what is the story would you like to start with? Would you like to start with the success one or the, the failure? Which one would you think would make like a good progression to the other one? 
Yeah. So let's start with the, with the, with the success one. And, and both of them are going to be about me. Nice. The kind of so, stories I love most. The okay. personal ones. <laughs> Good. They're a marker for true leader. So, so back in uh, the late 70s, I joined a company as the chief operations officer. There were four employees, and we reported to the two owners of the company. So I reported to uh, one of the, well, one of the owners ran the company, and the other one was, was a uh, more silent partner. And uh, I reported to one, and then everybody else but the chief financial officer reported to me. And over about eight years, we grew the company from uh, four employees to about 65 and sold it to a large insurance company. So that is the win. And let me say, part of the reason for that is it was a combination of what I think is really important for leadership. So the owner of the company was very, very strategic. He could see into the future. He could see what was coming. And he was able to predict what we would need to do and be in order to grow. Yes. And in addition, he was just a really nice person. Everybody really felt respected and cared about by him. I, on the other hand, uh, am am more uh, technical. I'm get, get me under the hood and let me play with the engine as opposed to looking forward and seeing where we're going. So, so I was much, I am much more uh, in, in the present, what's working, what's not working, problem solving. And also, as I said, I was much more comfortable driving results. And so uh, as a team, we worked really well. We balanced each other out. But I think as, as your audience thinks about leadership it's partly a balance of things it's not one thing or the other yes it is and i'm i'm really curious because like getting uh, an operations <laughs> chief operations person so early for a company when you have like four employees yes it really shows like the vision that the ceo had for for the company and realizing like I have visions, I, I have like the overarching strat, uh, strategy of how to achieve it, but I'm not that good at doing the operations, yes. the dealing operations. Yeah, so absolutely, he saw that. He needed somebody to run the company. And in addition, uh, when I first came on board, I wasn't called chief operations officer. They called me, uh, I think it was vice president operations. And that's just, it didn't mean a whole lot. It was just a very typical, it is a very typical title that they give people in small organizations that are growing. So, but as we grew later on, he changed it to chief operations officer. Oh, nice. And what did you do to help grow the organization? Like you were like, you're not on the, on the soft side. So you say like you're more on the, the hard side. So, how did that impact the growth and what did you learn from that experience? Well, I was very focused on what we need to do in order to be successful. So it was a healthcare organization. Uh, are, are you familiar with employee assistance programs by any chance? 
Is that something? A little that they... bit, no, not that much. Yeah. So we were a company that got hired by larger companies. So some of our clients were Monsanto and General Dynamics and uh, uh, Southwest Airlines. Some very large companies, even though we were small, but their employees were encouraged to call us up when they had personal problems, okay. and the, these were problems that didn't necessarily rise to the level where it was a psychiatric problem or a mental health problem. But, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble managing my kids or uh, we need health, uh, we need uh, childcare or my spouse is not, um, we're not getting along. It was that kind of, that kind of thing, or I'm just under a lot of stress. I need to manage my stress so that it was confidential and they would call us, but also the company itself, supervisors and managers would call us and we would consult with them around how to, how to address performance issues with employees who also seemed to have personal problems that were causing the performance issues. Yes. So one of the things that I did is I was really clear that we had two clients. One client was the company that was paying for us. The other client was the person who, you know, the employee who had called yes. or the supervisor who had called. And one of the real challenges was that the goals and needs of those two different clients didn't always match. Uh, so as expected. So I was, I was very good at listening to what was going on and figuring out uh, when when that happened, how do we talk to uh, the company? How do we talk to the employee? How do we work out something that works for both? And it's a big deal in the United States because the people who were working for me were licensed uh, mental health professionals. And there are a lot of laws in the United States about, you know, the person that you're talking to is your only client. And Yes. And most mental health professionals don't think about the company as a client also as a client as well. So a lot of my work was to to help them think that through and understand that there's two clients here. And I know like in the United States and I would expect like everywhere like when it comes with mental health care confidentiality is really important yes the person talking with you has to feel like this is going to be confidential and especially it's really drilled inside the the people so how and it's it's a really delicate situation that you had to handle like you had professionals that are taught like from the start like you have to keep confidentiality so you, you can do the therapeutic uh, you can get the outcome you want with the person yes. but also at the same time you have to convince them like we also have to help the company that is paying us right so, right so <clears throat> i feel i i feel like you had some finesse even if you say like you were more on the hard side you still had to have some finesse in well, that situation I, th th thank you very much i i will acknowledge i have some finesse about how do you do that and um but also so with the client, I did have a lot of finesse, but with my own staff, I had a tendency, you know, I'm from New York and I'm from a loud family. And when I, when I thought I knew what I was doing, or I was sure I knew I was doing, I just told people what to do. And, okay. um, 
I had a coach who said to me, and, and it took him a while to get me there. He had to be really direct with me. But ultimately, he said to me, before, before you tell anybody what to do, they get to tell you why it won't work. He said, if you're going to tell the person who picks up the garbage to pick up the garbage differently, that, that person gets to tell you why it won't work. If you're going to tell the receptionist to answer the phone differently, the receptionist gets to tell you why it won't work. And then he told me that um, there were two things that were going to happen if I didn't listen. The first one was he was going to quit. And the second, and the second one was that he was going to beat me up. Now, <laughs> he didn't mean that. I, I, I actually had, I hired him because I knew who he was and I had a, okay. uh, a colleagueal relationship with him. But, you know, I think one of the things for leaders to know is that if you have somebody from a culture like mine, sometimes you have to be really direct with them for them to hear you. And then if you're talking to people from a different kind of culture, say it's a family where nobody ever said anything really directly and everybody was really careful or maybe from another country, then you, you have to figure, you got to talk to them differently or else they're going to feel really offended and, and disrespected. So uh, yeah, so once I started doing that, I realized, so by this time, when, I, when, when he was on board, I had about 25 people reporting to me, and we were in the middle of a culture change. No, I'm sorry, not a culture change, a systems change. We were That's changing how we, how we handled the cases that came in, and we were at a point where uh, things were not fully automated. So we, we needed to now automate. So that meant everybody had to do different stuff. And I pretty much thought I knew what we needed to do. And I had kind of pushed a, a way of doing it. So listening to my coach, I called a meeting of my managers and I told them, all right, I want you to tell me everything that's wrong. How can this go? You know, what's, what am I missing? What's going to go wrong? I don't know. About two hours later, I walked out with 150 different things that could go <laughs> wrong. And I, I couldn't, you know, my coach's name was Louie and Louie saved my life because the, my people knew, did, knew that I didn't want to hear what they had to say. And now that I said, I do want to hear what they have to say. I discovered they know all kinds of stuff. I don't know because they're yes. more in touch with the clients. So that, so that was a big leadership lesson for me. And, and that's like also a big lesson like for anybody that's in a business. You have to realize that the people under you know more about their specific part of the business than you will ever know. Before. Unless you rose through the ranks for that position and right. really recently. Because right. if, it, if it was like 20 years ago, probably that some of that knowledge still applies, but not that much anymore yes. with the changes. I 100% agree. Yeah, and it's sad because sometimes you, you see leaders, they rose through the ranks, they were really great at their jobs, but they were like 20 years ago and they, they tr they're they still trying to force people to do the job like right. in the 80s, like it was right. done in the 80s. And it's, it, it's sad because technology advances and you have all kinds of new stuff and it's different. And people expect different products, different services now than they used to in the past some of the, yes. some are the same but some are different yes and jordan since you delighted us with uh, the success stories what is the 
biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of having well, witnessed? It was my own. So, yeah. so we built the company until it got bought. Okay. And we were bought by a large insurance company, which was a nonprofit. And they were wanting to shift to be for profit. And so the person who was our connection when we were bought, one of the things he said to me was, I really like that you, you all are very entrepreneurial and very direct. We need to be more, we more need like to that. be more direct and we need to be more like that if we're going to be successful as we shift. And I wasn't um, knowledgeable enough to understand that that might be true, but you don't change a culture that quickly overnight so um about three and a half years later i was sitting in my office and my boss asked me to come down to her office and i walked in and sitting there with her was the the senior vice president of human resources whose office was three and a half hours away and a half and, hours away <laughs> yes so immediately i knew this is not a good thing and they proceeded to fire me for mismanaging my budget. And I was a little confused by that because I knew there was something wrong with my budget and I had asked at least three times for a breakdown of the overhead specifically, and I never got it. Okay. And so anyway, they, they marched me out and about a week later I was in a coffee shop and I bumped into the woman who had been my consultant from the finance function on, the, on, on my budget. And she walked over and she said, Jordan, I owe you an apology. And I said, why? She said, well, you know how for the last six months or four months or whatever it was, you've been telling me there's something wrong with your overhead and I've been looking at you like I have no clue. And I said, yeah. And she said, and you know how you asked me for a breakdown of your overhead and I never gave it yeah. to you? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I knew exactly what was wrong with your overhead, but our boss told me that I would, that I would lose my job if I gave you the breakdown. Oh. So, so clearly, clearly I got set up yes. quite dishonestly. And, you know, I, I, I realized there was quite an opportunity to feel victimized. And, and in fact, I was pretty angry for the next 10 years, but... Um, oh yeah, it's, it's but I, reasonable. But I, yeah, but I hate feeling victimized. So I decided to do what I uh, teach my coaching clients to do when stuff like this happens, which is uh, focus on what you controlled in that situation, even if okay. it's two, even if it's two percent, rather than getting angry about the ninety-eight percent you didn't control. Focus on the 2% that you did and figure, take it as a learning experience and figure out what you're going to do next time. Yeah. And so, so I had to admit that I knew that my boss wanted more uh, respect for me than I was giving her. Now, I, I want to be clear. I was not unprofessional. I didn't call her. I didn't use profanity. I didn't call her names, but I spoke to her. I didn't respect her a whole lot. And I spoke to her and challenged what she said in a fairly direct style. And I knew that, you know, I knew that if I were going to be more diplomatic, um, I would change that. And I was working 60 hour weeks, sometimes more. 
and I didn't have the energy to think about it, and I didn't see why I should have to think about it. And um, so I had to admit that, that, that I, got, I got fired in that way uh, because I didn't pay attention. You know, had I, had I paid attention, I would have uh, left at my own chosen time. By the way, I also had to admit I'd been told this before. But, <laughs> but, but, but up to this point, it, nothing bad ever happened. It was because I was so productive. And so, you know, I, I made a commitment at that point that I was going to treat people respectfully, even when I didn't think they deserved it. And, okay. and, that, and so this is one of the key leadership uh, things, I believe. And by the way, now I specialize in working with people like me. So if any of your listeners out there are um, very, very direct and offend people sometimes, but at the same time, they're still in their position because they're very good at what they do, then I'm, and if they have the conversation in their head that I'm only going to treat you with respect if you deserve it, I'm going to challenge them a little bit and say, you know, that's the kind of thing that will derail your career. You need, you, need to, you need to be able to speak everybody's language. And uh, you, by the way, treating people respectfully doesn't mean letting them off the hook. So one of the things that I talk a lot of, about is how do you give negative feedback without damaging relationships? Well, that, that's interesting. And I really want to, to get into that, giving negative feedback without damaging relationship because... If you're direct or you're not a direct person, you still have to give negative feedback. Yes. So yes. what would be your tips for giving negative feedback? Well, the first thing is you have to manage yourself. So if you've got, if there is some part of you in your head, if there's a conversation in your head that says, you know, you just don't deserve my respect because you didn't think clearly or you didn't come in on time or you're not as smart as I am, or you don't get it, or whatever it is, and you're justifying being disrespectful in tone uh, or, or words with them, um, then you need to make a commitment that regardless of what that internal conversation is, that you're going to rise above it and look down. I, I, the way I talk about it is that it's because my brain is wired partly by genetics and partly by my family upbringing to just say what I think, no matter, you know, no matter what. And what we now know about the brain is we have what are called neural pathways that drive that. So when you get triggered to say something angry or you triggered to be afraid, we can see millions of neurons firing in your brain. And mm. it's like you're on a super highway. And you're doing 200 miles an hour and a deer steps out on the road and you decide, I'm not going to smash the deer. Yes, you are. You don't even have a split second to change your mind. You're doing 200 miles an hour on yes, you know, highway. Too late. So what you have to do is really practice alternative responses. And after a while, after, well, for instance, so let's say, uh, well, just a really simple example would be, let's say you are my employee. Okay. And you have been doing things that are going to get you fired. You've been coming in late. Uh, you have been making mistakes. You haven't been checking with stakeholders. I could say to you, you know, I, you know, I could say to you, Andre, 
I'm really getting sick and tired of you. You, you. you know, you don't do your work. You come in late and people are complaining about you. That's terrible work. Yes. Or I could say to you, Andre, I wouldn't be do my, doing my job supporting your, your success. That's one of my goals is to support your success. If I didn't tell you that, the way that you speak, other people are complaining about it. And by the way, when you don't do, you know, you are handing in uh, projects and it's clear that you haven't done the homework. And if that continues, uh, well, if that continues, partly it's going to be bad for our department. But also at some point, I'm probably going to have to let you go. And I don't want to have to do that. I want to give you a shot at changing what you're doing. So both of those are communicating the same thing, but one of them yes. is I'm um, clearly care that, that you, you show that you different. care and you really want to help that person. Right. It's not like beating them down and saying like, I don't want to help you. You have to help yourself. It's like, I'm taking your side. I'm working with you, but you also have to do the work yourself. So if you and I are talking outside, say in a park and you notice that I am yes. absentmindedly stepping backwards, and you notice that behind me is a cliff. Wouldn't it be the kindest thing that you could possibly do is say to me backwards the way you are, there's a chance you could fall off the cliff. Part of the message is wouldn't you want to do that early rather than late? So partly before you're angry at me and partly before I'm on the edge of the cliff and I can't do anything about it. And I guess the other piece would be if I am, uh, if I have the kind of personality where I don't like to be criticized and you say to me, Jordan, if you keep walking backwards, you're going to fall off the cliff. Yes. I could get angry at you and say, well, why are you always criticizing me? So the point of this is that what leaders control and managers control is their good intention to help somebody and whether or not they give the feedback in a way that the person, that it's behavioral rather than judgmental. And they don't control whether the other person starts crying or starts yelling or denies or blames. So it's very important to evaluate yourself based on what you control rather than the other person's reaction. Yeah, and that's, that's really important because you, you can't, be taken like from the blind side by a reaction that you would not expect, especially like in a business setting. And it, it happens all the time. I hear, oh, I've heard all kinds of stories of, um, you have like uh, a, a review meeting or anything and you have to give some, especially when you have to give like some negative feedback, uh, then the, the employee starts talking about their family and how they're having some family issues. And yes. it's kind of hard for you to, to respond to something like this because it's, it's a business setting. It's not therapy. You're not prepared to, to have that conversation. Like uh, um, when, have, what would you say? Like for us, for example, when you have like a person that has like a, he was a good performer. Now he's not that good before we have the a review with him. And he says, like, well, uh, my wife is sick and I have to take care of her. And I stay up all night because of it. 
uh, all the situation. So it, it's it, it's a hard, it's a tough situation to sure to have an answer for. Yeah. So part of it depends on whether or not the person has mental health coverage or they have an employee assistance program. So if you're working for an international company, uh, say from the United States, there's a good chance they have a, an employee assistance program, which is the kind of program that I run where you can call up and say, I have some yes. difficulty. Or if they don't have an employee assistance program, but they do have mental health coverage, you can say something like, um, you know, I'm in a little bit of a bind here because I care about you as a person and I know you're going through some really tough stuff. And on the other hand, I'm not doing my job if I don't let you, if I don't let you know that what it is that you're doing is hurting the, the, the company, it's hurting our clients, and it, you know, it needs to stop. So can I suggest to you that you, you, you know, that if this is caused by a personal problem, that you, you know, you, you make an appointment. Now, if they don't have, um, by the way, you might also say, you know, I, I'm going to let you slide a little bit because, you know, you are going through a difficult time. But at some point in the very near future, say a month or whatever, if this keeps happening, it's really going to cause you some difficulty. By the way, you yes. probably want to talk with your human resources person before you do that or your, or your boss. Or if you're the boss, you want to, you know, and you happen to have a legal attorney in your country, you want to check on that so you, have to, so you know what it is that you can do. So this is where being a leader is difficult. You're managing the legality and you have split needs. On one hand, you need to take care of your company and you need to take care of your project. And on the other hand, you have a human being in front of you who is in pain yes. and you want to help take care of the human being. And that's what makes it hard. The, makes the it very hard. Yeah. Uh, and with that in mind, Jordan, after all these experiences, um, what is your leadership philosophy? Well, you know, I think... I, I, let me, rather than my philosophy, let me talk about what the outcome is of great leadership. Okay. And I, and I'm, and I'm using, um, I don't know. Have you heard of the center for creative leadership? Um, no, not until now. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what countries they are in They're They're, I, they're in the United States. They started in the United States. I know that they have, uh, offices in, uh, for instance, Russia and in uh, some of the Asian countries, and I believe in India. I know some. I know they have. I, I know they have um, uh, offices in Europe, but I'm just not sure off the top of my head where. <clears throat> but anyway, they've done a lot of research on leadership, and what they say is that great leadership results it results in the following. The first is they call it direction which means everybody knows why we're here and what are the few things we need to do to be successful. You know, where are we going? Where do we want to be in six months and what do we need to look at? The second thing is alignment, which is typically, you know, if you, even if you have only three or four people, you can get on the line, but typically if you've got, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, a hundred people in your company or more, 
it's very interesting. It's very easy for people to get siloed. So it's the leader's job to make sure that the leaders of each of those functions are talking to each other and are all focused on how do we together help the company meet its strategic goals and do what is necessary. And then the third thing is commitment. Um, And so commitment is about, is the mission of this company, is what we are doing more important than my short-term selfish needs? So to the degree that you can create a culture where people are willing to give up their short-term needs and do it for the bigger, for the bigger uh, mission, the bigger picture, the bigger vision, uh, that, that to me is what leadership is about. Yes. And it's good. I, I like that instead of... Uh philosophies it's more about a picture about where what's the goal of leadership because from it springs like all the all the stuff if you know exactly where you're heading and what you want to achieve Uh, and jordan uh, for aspiring leaders what would be your top three leadership tips you would have for them well so if you are a heavy heavy technical person, software engineer, engineer, scientist, the tendency is to focus on getting the job done and on getting the best results. Yes. And when you move into leadership, you still need to get the best results, but actually your job becomes to create direction, alignment, and commitment. And so most of the people I know, and these are people that I coach a lot, uh, if they're heavily scientific, if they're analytic, they also tend to be a little introverted, which is they're not, they're not all that social. They, they have one or two people in their lives that they want to be close with. But when they walk into the office, it's more about let's get the job done as opposed to saying good morning and how are you and how was your weekend and all of that. With analysis. Yeah, it's it, it's about yeah, it's about let's solve the puzzle yes. and not have a lot of nece- unnecessary conversation about what we're doing in our personal lives. And so I I think the biggest thing is to understand that you need you need to be you're now managing people. And if you are one of those people who is very introverted uh or just not interested in connecting with people, you need to be able to speak to them in their language. And one of the metaphors I use is that everybody's brain has an operating system. And some some operating systems are just like yours. They want very little human contact. They want to think a lot. They want to solve the problem, et cetera. Other operating systems require more human contact. And they think out loud rather than I'm an out loud thinker, by the way, I don't know what I'm thinking (laughs) or feeling until I hear myself say it. So it took me a while to learn that. So rather than thinking by myself for two hours, I find somebody that I know and trust. And I say, listen, this is what's going on. Let me run this by you. And usually in, you know, two or three paragraphs, I figured out what I need to do. Whereas I could be by myself thinking for two hours and not get it. And the same as the other way around. You may, you yourself may be one of those think out loud people. 
So this is what the, this is the, uh, what I, these are examples of what I mean by your brain has an operating system. So you need to figure out what is the operating system of the brain of the people that you're working with and channel your communication so that the operate, operating system accepts your input. Yes. And it's something, it's important to, as a manager, as you move into managing and working with more and more people that uh, respond to you is you have your, this is something that I'm trying for people to understand. You yourself, it's your job to become flexible to be able to communicate and get your message across. It's not the job of the people that are answering to you to be flexible and, and, and be able to understand you. It, right. it falls on you. If they don't get what you're trying to do and they, you don't get the results you're wanting, it's your fault because you are not communicating in a way that get, makes them understand you. Because that exactly it falls on communication. All the most of the problems in business fall on communication and lack of it. Yes, I, I'm in, exactly yes. Uh, and Jordan, one thing that I'm really curious, and I know you have a lot of expertise about it, is if someone has a bully in uh, their department or in their office. Um, and especially in um, in technical environments, there's there's usually a person that has invested a lot and knows a lot of stuff, or thinks he knows a lot of stuff about the domain that they're yes. working in, and they throw that knowledge and use it as a way to bully people, and uh, they think like they're the most precious person in the company because of all their knowledge, and they're really really big bullies because of yes. this. So yes. how would you handle a situation like that? What okay, advice so would you have? Are you reporting to them or are they reporting to you? Um, it can be, usually it is, they, they rise through the ranks. They're like team, team leaders or something like that. Uh, usually they don't make it all the way. They, they sometimes, usually they refuse to become like full-fledged managers because they know all their powers is related to the, being involved with the technology and due do, do to their productivity with it. Uh, so they won't be like full managers, but they can also bully managers because uh, they're afraid to lose them and have sure. them leave the company. So actually the, <laughs> the power is inversed in, in, uh, in such technology, technology yeah. companies. Yeah. So, so the first thing I think that you need to do is understand how their brain is wired. In most cases, people who behave like that, their primary intention is not to hurt people. It's partly that they, in some, sometimes they just come from loud families or loud cultures, and they're just doing what, you know, they're just talking to you the way they talk to their family and their friends. The second thing is that for people who are very, very uh, results-driven and success-driven, often their self-esteem is attached to whether or not other people think they're doing the right thing and whether or not things get done. So when you challenge them or you don't pick up on it quickly enough or things don't go well, 
it's almost the the response that they have physiologically is almost as if somebody were in a dark alley holding a knife to their throat. It's called a fight-flight response. Yes. And they strike out. And they may say some really nasty things, and it's interpreted as bullying. It is bullying. But their intention is not to bully. And so if you're going to deal with them, the first thing you need to do is separate your own self-esteem and how you feel about yourself from how somebody's talking to you. It's about them. It's not about you. The second thing that you need to do is figure out, uh, you know, well, if they report to you, it's the same thing. You need to give them feedback in a respectful manner. So you might say, um, you know, um, today in the meeting, uh, when someone raised their hand, you said, what are you, an idiot? And the reaction of the it room was... was in the companies. Yeah. The, re the, the, the reaction in the room was uh, everybody rolled their eyes and the person didn't say anything. Now, there's a, number of, there's a number of impacts to that. One impact is that it affects your team. Another impact is we don't hear what's going on. But, you know, as your boss, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't let you know that um, I want that to stop. It needs to stop and, and, and there will be consequences down the road if it doesn't. And then I would say, so am I being unreasonable? And they may yell back at me, but then I use the broken record technique, which is, you know, I know this is hard for you. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't mean anything badly. But if you can't talk to people, if you don't start talking to people in a way that they experience as respectful, it's going to impact your position. And they still may get upset. And I, I call it the broken record. Well, yes, I understand that. And <laughs> I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't, you know, I repeat it four or five times. And sometimes it takes, you know, by the way, that, that was me. I'm, I, I didn't call people stupid, but it, it took me getting fired to hear it. I needed, you know, I needed, I, I didn't change until something big happened. So the shock. Want, yeah, the shock. And so if, if you're very direct with them, they may get upset with you. I don't know. They could even cry or something, I don't, whatever. But again, it's your positive intention in telling them. And that's the key, having a positive intention. And there yeah. are, I know of companies that they have like a really good employee. They, he built like the core of the software or knows it all or is really passionate about it. And, but the problem is all the other engineers can't stand him. Right. And it, you, you have at, this, at a certain point, you get like to a, a situation where it's either you lose all your engineer and you have your stellar ones remaining or you have to fire the stellar one and keep the rest of them. Right. So that's, that's to the point. If you as a leader don't take, take steps to resolve the situation fast, that's where it, it always gets to the point. And you can have like whole departments leaving you in one month just because they cannot stand one person. Right. Exactly. And, and the reason leaders don't do it, it's one of two reasons. They're either afraid of losing the, uh, the very bright person who's behaving disrespectfully, or they themselves may be conflict avoidant and they're, and they're uncomfortable with that person starting to yell at them or disagree with them 
et cetera. So it, it comes back to managing yourself. Exactly. And also evaluating because there's also like the other situation when you have a person who is not that great uh, technically, but has built this image inside the company and especially inside the leadership's yes. brains that they're really good while they aren't. And yes. uh, people are also get annoyed because of that, because he gets recognitions for stuff that he should not get. It's Absolutely. hard. It's complicated being a leader, but it's also fun. It is fun. It is hard. This is not easy stuff. It's why most leaders have somebody outside that they can talk to. And either that's a coach or it's a, uh, when, when we were, when we were talking earlier, um, I mentioned to you that I had a coach and you were saying, that's very interesting. A coach having a coach. Uh, yes. My experience is most leaders need somebody outside the company where they can say whatever they're thinking in a safe, confidential environment. They can be themselves and saying those things doesn't hurt them in the company, but they can get some, uh, input perspective. as to yeah perspective and input uh, and something important and it really makes sense to talk to a person that um, is not involved doesn't know maybe he is not or her is not involved in the field that you're working in um, because that's when you get like really um, insightful breakthroughs I don't know how it works, but usually people that don't know that much about the domain or what is happening there, if you say something, they see like something so obvious that you, because you're so close to it, you cannot see it. Exactly. Yes, that, that happens a lot. Yeah. And Jordan, uh, since you had such an experience and you're a coach, so I guess you read also a lot. What is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Well, there are several of them, and um, the one I'm going to recommend had a big impact on me, and I'm okay. going to assume that some of your leaders uh, or some of your listeners you know, may be on the overly aggressive or abrasive side. So this was a book that really, really uh, helped, and the book is called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Oh. And and it's by Marshall Goldsmith. I'm gold rich. He's Goldsmith. <laughs> and um, it's really a book for uh, very, very bright results driven people about the mistakes that they make when they shift into leadership. And it's really about the things to stop doing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't so have to be what right. Would be like what would be the tough thing that you have to stop doing once you get into leadership? Um, well, an ex one of the key examples would, you don't have to be right all the time. Yes, it is true. That, that would be a great example. Let, let, you know, be a coach, let people figure it out. It, it's not about you being right. It's about developing a team where people feel comfortable being themselves and where they can learn. Yes, and helping people enjoy their their own journeys. You're a facilitator in your journey. It's not you traveling instead of them. <laughs> yes, I like that. That's good. Yes. Uh, and Jordan, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Well, they can go to my website, which is workplacewarriorinc.com. Okay. Or... If they would like to get a complimentary copy of my book, 
they can go to workplacewarrior.com. Okay. And, and the and complimentary copy is, is electronic. The book yes. is called... The book is called Workplace Warrior, People Skills for the No Bullshit Executive. I love the title. And since you're from New York, you probably know what you're, what you're talking about. In the <laughs> <laughs> and after your story. So um, I highly recommend people if they feel that they're abrasive in their workplace or they're working with a person that is abrasive in their workplace and they would like more insight go get the book especially with the gracious offer that jordan has at workplacewarrior.com just go and pick it up i'm sure you're going to find a lot of valuable information in it thank you jordan thank you it's been a pleasure to be here talking with you i am uh, really honored to be on your show thank you so much bye that was today's episode tune in daily Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.